I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Today, we're going to talk about leaders. We're going to transition to Bill Stromberg, the president and CEO of T. Rowe Price, and talk about what were the ingredients needed to make him a successful CEO at T. Rowe Price, a company he entered at a very low level. What are two or three key things you've learned about mentoring that are common? I mean, everybody's different, but what are the two or three things that you talk about in terms of developing someone? I think you start by understanding where they are and who they are. You listen and try to understand what motivates them, what drives them, uh, what gets them excited. Uh, knowing that starting point helps you to help them to get to the next point, which is what skills do they need that they don't have? How do you fill in the gaps to help them to move to that next place? And from that point forward, I think it's a point of a push of motivating, pushing to get them to the next step. And then when they struggle, pushing or pulling them along, if you will, to, to let them know that they can still get there and everybody makes mistakes along the way. So a lot of push and pull. Whatever you have in front of you that day, try to be the very best you can at it and excel at it. At T. Rowe Price, fortunately, it is a very team-oriented place. And it matters not just being smart and delivering good results, but it matters that you help other people too. I think I sit in the CEO seat at T. Rowe Price because I helped a lot of people along the way, not because I'm the smartest uh, person at this shop uh, or that I could uh, solve more problems than other people, but I helped a lot of people. And in our context, that means the world. What were some of the initial challenges you faced moving into the role? And what are the, some of the things that you would advise, for instance, to put a group together between D.C. and uh, Baltimore with a variety of CEOs? So what are the common themes of those, those meetings? Transitioning into the CEO role, start with that, I, I think is a, is a unique transition. Everybody develops within some aspect of, of the job and is strong at various pieces of it. I liken it to being a triathlete. You know, some people become triathletes by starting as a, a runner. Some start as a biker. Some start as a swimmer. But you still have to learn the other two that you didn't start with. And as CEO, we all start with different strengths and weaknesses, but you have to learn all the other pieces of the business. And you have to be a good steward of that, and you have to develop people and leaders who can lead all parts of the business. And that means you have to want to learn. You have to want to give of yourself and committed yourself to, to, to do that learning and to be present for the whole company. The Greater Washington Partnership, I think you referred to as a group of CEOs. And this is a group formed by a number of CEOs between Richmond and Baltimore to develop the economy and commerce within that region. Regional economies have become very, very powerful in different parts of our country. And we wanted to make sure as a group that we work together to develop uh, with leadership and government governments 
to develop policies that promote business, that promote tra- ease of travel, and make it easier to develop a workforce that will make us world class in this region. And the group is only about four, four years old now, and it's been led uh, very capably by a handful of people, and they've done a terrific job. We're then going to talk to two CEOs of significant sports organizations. Mark Shapiro is going to talk about his strength in terms of empowering people and building a culture. You get different promotion, assistant general manager, general manager. You know, you're winning a lot of uh, divisional championships. You get promoted to CEO. Let's talk a little bit about that journey as you moved up. John Hart leaves and how you bring people in to develop them because the pipeline of people that you've touched, nobody's done anything like that. So talk a little bit about what that approach has been and how you've included people in, in developing them on the front office side. In the story that we initially talked about, which it lies in the level of belief and empowerment uh, and responsibility that Dan and John instilled upon me at a young age. So I was not even aware you know, at that age, like how remarkable it was for them to give me that level of responsibility. And I think I only after reflecting, was I aware of the power of that belief, like what that can mean when you're someone young and have ideas and thoughts for someone who's been in the game for as long as they have and done as much as they did to say, you're a guy like, yeah, like we believe in you, go do it. And we got your back. Um, So I always felt like, my job was to pay that forward a little bit. One, two, um, you know, I'm not just saying it in the typical self-deprecating way. Like I'm not that smart and I'm not that talented. So, you know, my strength is going to be to, uh, help identify really good people, bring them into a culture that is clearly articulated where the values are clear and then empower the heck out of those people with the understanding that, their job's not to pay their dues. Their job's to make us better the day they get there. A, it's pretty exciting and fun to work in that environment because there's no energy on credit or no energy on blame. All of our energy is, is just on how do we get to the best decision? How do we get to the best result? How do we get to the best place together? No focus on individuals, on anyone's individual area. It's just let's get to the best outcome. Um, and I think all the thought was hire the best and brightest, make sure the values are aligned and power the heck out of those people to make us better and create a culture to where it's not hierarchical. It's not, you know, isolated into you stay in your box, you stay in your little area. It's just about how do we beat the Yankees and Red Sox with three times our resources? Well, to do that, we better be exceptional in everything else we do. Uh, and to do that, you know, I've, as you and I have talked about a lot, to me, culture is the way to do that. That scalable competitive advantage comes from an elite culture, comes from a learning culture, comes from exceptional people dropped into that environment. Continuous improvement is something else that you've been really passionate about. Talk about how you use that in decision making, how all those things that you've described are kind of a foundation of that culture. I remember talking to Charlie Mara, original sports psychologist in Cleveland. And, you know, back then Kaizen was a big word, which kind of means continuous improvement and getting better. And the more I've thought about it and the more, again, like I think one of the benefits of kind of 
you know, having a lot of years or getting older or whatever it is, you know, the ability to reflect is, I think that continuous improvement is really like a set of values. It's the underpinning of a culture. It's what I would now call a learning culture. Here's the kind of my thoughts behind that. If you're humble, you know, which this game has a way of making you humble, whether you're there or not, as all professional sports do, um, and you're truly open-minded, and if we have everyone open-minded, then you're continuously learning. So if you're humble, open, and learning, you're getting better. You know, you're going to improve every day. And once you start to scale that, not with just one leader, not with five leaders, not with 20 people, if you're scaling that with 200 people across an entire organization, and then you're transferring that to the players as well, that we are constantly focused on learning and getting better. We're open-minded. We're not set in our ways, but we're thinking like, okay, where is the opportunity to get better today? And we're all focused that every single day, there is going to be some opportunity that presents itself for us to get better in some way, to learn something, to find some way to, that, that individually applies to us to get better. And if we're doing that across an entire organization, you know, then I get back to corporate speak, that's scalable competitive advantage. That is a competitive advantage over people who are only focused on results, are only focused on outcomes, are focused on keeping their jobs, which you, you know all too well. A lot of people just get focused on keeping their jobs. So I'm trying to shift all the attention away from those outcomes, away from those results, away from job security, and just get back to, let's just get better. If we get better, everything else takes care of itself. It'll all, it'll all work out in the end. So Hire really well, like we've talked about, really, really, really good people, which is music to your ears, like the best, the best in the world, hire them, drop them into a culture that is focused on learning and getting better every single day and empowering, get focused on a common goal and a common set of values, and everything else takes care of itself. Just need to keep that going all the time and never get complacent on those things. And then we're going to listen to Sam Kennedy, uh, the CEO of Fenway Sports and understand what's turned him into one of the most dynamic leaders in professional sports. I mean, you talk about how you've moved up throughout the organization and you have a, uh, a, a fellow peer in Jay Monahan that used to work with you that now is the commissioner of the uh, PGA. Uh, the development of uh, individuals within your organization is incredible. I mean, what Larry began and what you've continued is really, really unique. Well, Jed, you, you know better than anyone. Um, the most important thing in the, in the sports business, and I'm sure in any business, is the power of mentorship uh, and actually developing, uh, retaining key executives, but also recognizing when it's time for executives to move on and take that next step, whether it's going back to business school, law school, or going to another organization. And so many of us learned that from Larry Lucchino as an incredible mentor. Um, I've been blessed not only working for Larry, but having incredible peer mentorships. You know, people like Jay Monahan, who worked with us here uh, at Fenway Sports Group in our golf business. Uh, Billy Hogan, who's now the CEO of Liverpool Football Club. Of course, I mentioned Theo Epstein, Mike Hazen, Ben Sherrington. Um, the list goes on and on. Other executives, Todd Lywicki. Uh, you know, I just think of so many people in the sports business that we've been touched by. Ann Finucane is another example. 
outside of sports, but in the in the financial services industry. Uh, early on in my career, I did everything I, I could to uh, learn and grow and connect with people uh, because you just learn so much from their experiences and you take their wisdom and then apply it to challenges that you're facing in your own job. And, and the ability to watch and listen and learn from people who have gone before you, I think, is the most powerful thing uh, for anyone getting into business, I think, has really reinforced that for me, not being able to have that physical connectivity with each other, the creativity, the innovation of being in the office together and solving problems, tackling challenges. Um, it, it, we have sorely missed it in the sports business, and we're so excited. There's light at the end of the tunnel here. Help our audience understand what it all is that encompasses Fenway sports. People are going to be mind boggled that here you are winning. So when you think about, you know, the managers uh, and you've had, again, whether it's Tito or or a variety or whether it's uh, now uh, Correa, what, what do you think in today's world makes a really successful manager? It's a great question, and and I think we've seen a, a, a pretty dramatic change. I, I go all the way back to the early 1990s with the New York Yankees when we had Buck Showalter into Joe Torre, and then my time in San Diego uh, was we, we had Bruce Bochy as our manager the whole time. Uh, coming to Boston, we hired, hired Tito Francona, then John Farrell, we had Bobby Valentine, and then of course, Alex uh, came in in 2018. I do think uh, things have changed uh, in terms of the leadership role in uniform. I can only speak for uh, baseball and English football. That's what I'm most close to. Um, in baseball specifically, I think we've seen a transition from uh, the authoritarian type, sort of my way or the highway, with lots of rigid rules and policies and procedures to stick by, um, to a shift of more of um, uh, relatability to players, connectivity, and a quality that you know our mutual friend Mark Shapiro and I talk about all the time, which is authenticity. Uh, Alex is just uh, as real as it gets. He tells it like it is. He's very honest with our players, gives them direct feedback, but he also keeps them very positive. Baseball is a game you, you can only have success if you're having fun while you're playing. And it's a hard sport to have fun playing because there's so much failure associated with our sport. Uh, and to keep guys uh, loose, relaxed, and enjoying playing baseball uh, has been his secret sauce so far. So we certainly hope that that continues.